everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 72 of the show, which is 8 times 9, or 12 times 6, or... Four times 18. I don't know. It's a pretty awesome number to hit, though. And we are going to be diving into the second week of releases in October 1964. These are comics that came out on October 8th, and they're going to take us up this episode and next episode. So um, I guess, you know, there's no preliminaries. We never have preliminaries on this show. Are there preliminaries? How you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. I was just thinking, like, what's the number 75 mean? Because we're almost there. Anything interesting? It's three quarters of a century. Is it a diamond? That's just when it's an anniversary, I think. I, I think if you make it to the 75th anniversary, it's like, holy crap, I'm so glad we're not dead. You're right. Because you're like think 95 show, by that point. <laughs> the show is not going to have a 75th anniversary, I'm pretty sure. But no, no. hey, you never know. I'm too old for that. Probably. Right. But well, well, you we, know what we are doing tonight? We are covering something in a way that's much different than normal. Because again... I have to cover Sergeant Fury, which is our first book tonight, chronologically. But for the first time, I'm not really upset about it. So that's kind of cool. Something new. Because it has your favorite guy. Because it's Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number 13, which, as all Captain America collecting nerds know, has Captain America in it. Right there on the cover. Along with Bucky. We've done they, this one before. We have. and But we're going to um, – it's been a while. It has. I enjoyed reading it again. And the last time we did it, I hadn't read the first 12 issues. So now it's a little different. And also, I had not read it like in the really examining how Captain America's Silver Age stories had developed. Because mm-hmm. there are some interesting aspects going on to this story that I'll talk about in the notes. Yeah. Okay. So this one's called Fighting Side by Side with Captain America and Bucky, written and drawn by the Titanic, Titanic duo Stanley and Jack Kirby, who has returned for this issue. Uh, inked by Dick Ayers and lettered by Artie Semek. And it starts out with Nick and his girlfriend, Lady Pamela Holly, watching um, those cool things they used to watch when they were watching movies, before movies, like newsreels and stuff. And the place is politely clapping because they're watching about Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. And then it cuts to... Uh, them watching about Captain America and the place goes crazy. This makes Nick a little jealous because apparently this story takes place around the early days for Captain America because he's never met Cap and he kind of thinks of Cap as like a costume clown who's just all about propaganda and not really a fighter fighter. Anyway, so after that little bit of monologuing, they uh, cut to a diner where she once again compliments him on how well behaved he's been lately. But of course, this is all going to get wrecked because Sergeant Bull McGivney is also at this diner. And I don't know if he's drunk or just generally a jerk in general, generally a jerk in general, but he decides to pick on this poor private who's just minding his own business, drinking coffee. And he knocks the hat off his blonde head. That gets him to stand up. And then he's like, yeah, now pick up that hat that I just knocked off. Um, And the guy's kind of just standing there, not really fighting back, but not really defending himself either. But that annoys Nick, who already hates Bull. But also, why are you picking on your fellow officers? That's annoying. And then the guy kicks the blonde dude over onto the floor, which makes Nick get up and pick a fight. And they get into a big brawl. And the Howlers come to join in because Bull has his own people. And there's this big old fight. And, of course, the MPs show up. And everybody gets arrested. Anyway, it cuts to Captain America and Bucky getting dressed. 
And Cap's like, yeah, I think Nick Fury's the guy. He's the guy we're going to call if we ever have a problem. But right now, it's just a two-person mission. We've got to go behind enemy lines. Apparently, they are stockpiling weapons and stuff because they because uh, uh, intelligence or whatever believes that there's some sort of plan to possibly invade Britain. So they need to figure out what that is. So just like the Howlers, Bucky and Cap take you know, submarine, get to behind enemy lines in like one panel or whatever, use a raft, climb up a mountain, uh, punch through some Germans, steal a bike, punch, bike through some more Germans in total Captain America, Jack Kirby style and make their way into, or they find like a, uh, uh, what do you call it when there's a bunch of cars together? I don't know. Anyway, they all have guns and stuff, so they found their place, and they're going to follow these guys, right? Um, so they follow them into a town that looks like it's been overtaken by the Nazis, and the Nazis have got three pilots that have crashed there, and they're going to execute them. So Cap and Bucky can't be sneaky anymore. They have to stop that, which they do. They jump in. They save the day. They free the pilots. The pilots join in and help them fight. Um, Cap tells the pilots to run. There's a submarine back there. We left. You can just jump in that and get home. We're going to keep going. But when you get home, tell somebody to send Nick Fury and his guys to help us. So meanwhile, back at home, and by home I mean England because that's where they all are right now, um, Nick and crew are being put through the ringer by Sam Sawyer because of the fight they got into at the bar. So he's really punishing them bad. But then he calls in Nick and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, actually we, I have a mission for you. Captain America called for you and your guys personally. He needs your help, which thrills Nick because he wants to once and for all prove that this Cap guy is lame and he'll show him some real fighters, right? So they go out there, also take two or three pounds to get behind enemy lines, also fight through Germans, but unfortunately they're having a bad day because right out of the gate, um, I think Gabe's leg gets shrapneled up, so um, um, Iz, Izzy takes Gabe back, right? and the rest keep going, so now they're two down, and then they come across a big platoon of Germans, so the so I think Dum Dum stays behind in a tank to fire and keep them away. So now they're three down, and then they come across a train. They try and jump on to get into you know wherever it is Cap's supposed to be, and um, 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 British guy Percy stays behind with a machine gun to keep the Germans at bay while Nick and I guess whoever's left, uh, blonde guy, can't remember his name, Rebel. Rebel. So now it's just down to Nick and Rebel, essentially. Within, like, two pages, the Howlers get decimated down to two people. They end up on this train. Turns out the train is actually a train full of what they call German slaves, but I guess prisoners, you know? And so they're like, oh, well, let's just blend in. So they hide their guns and stuff and act like they're also prisoners. Nick notices that the blonde guy that was there that he rescued in the bar in the beginning of this issue is there. And he's like, how'd you get here? You were just in England where we were. There's no way you could get here so fast. Oh, yeah, I just got caught. Oh, it sucks. Anyway, then this German comes in with this, like, Nazi, um, what do you call it, uh, Hitler Youth guy. Mm-hmm. And the German's like, this Hitler Youth is going to, like, boss you guys around, so you better do what he says. And, you know, the Hitler Youth guy looks like a short kid with brunette hair. And anyway, at some point, 
he bosses the blonde guy around and tells him to like you know you go back there and you come with me and go back there and work in the stockyard or stock you know work work in the tunnel and nick's like here blonde guy take this blanket it's got a gun in it you'll be safer and the blonde guy's like nah i don't need that it's cool so the brunette boy and the blonde guy walk away into the tunnel and nick's like wow what's with those guys they're kind of weird i don't understand it but anyway hey we're here this is the tunnel we're supposed to be at and all of a sudden there's this big explosion and then captain america and bucky are there and they're like wow where'd you guys come from he's like doesn't matter now come on help us so there's all of a sudden the action ramps up and uh, uh they're going through the tunnel on those little I don't know what they're called. Those little train caboose thingies or whatever. And um, getting into fights and blowing things up. And suddenly Nick is like, wow, Cap, you're way cooler than I thought. I owe you an apology. And he's like, yeah, whatever, never mind. Help me out and find the... uh, Apparently the Nazis have rigged it so this tunnel full of all this ammunition they've been hoarding and stuff can be blown up in case they're discovered. So Cap's like, Nick, help me find where it is you can do that and blow this place up. Let's just blow it up for them. So they split up. Nick and, and and Rebel come across some Germans who are about to shoot them down, but suddenly the tunnel does blow up because Cap and Bucky apparently found the thing that makes it explode. Nick and Rebel barely get out alive. They don't ever find Cap or Bucky again, so kind of assume that maybe they're dead. They end up back at the hospital where all the other howlers that got left behind are also there. Um, Nick and Rebel are like, wow, that Cap was really something, blah, blah, blah. And then meanwhile, in the next room, there's this guy, Steve, or this guy, this blonde guy that's been there the whole time, and his brunette friend, who are actually uh, Captain America and Bucky, and they're also in the hospital. And that's the end. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to summarize that without saying their names, but uh, yeah, essentially it's Steve Rogers and, you know, Bucky Barnes, obviously. Duh. Right. But they never, say, they never say their name. Which I thought was really interesting because mm-hmm. we don't have super soldier serum, and we don't have a private name for Captain America. No, and like, if you if you are going to start a podcast that chronologically uh, chronicles the adventures of Cap for us anyway at this show, this is the earliest story they've done with him outside of Golden Age, of course. Yeah, once you get to the Silver Age and all of that stuff is thrown away, this is our first World War II story about Captain America, that, and I bet you that this and the the solid reception of this is what helps to inspire the shift that Tales of Suspense is going to have. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of the phase three of the Captain America, you know, getting his own series. Right. Yeah, but this was fun. I think Captain America should be in every Sergeant Fury and Italian Commandos issue, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed it. I don't think it would be a bad thing. Um, I do think it's cool, like, that they don't ever say what his name is i don't know that it matters if they did but it is kind of neat that they don't because technically like from our hero's point of view they don't even know this guy is cap ever in this whole story yeah and actually they never learn it just the writing they kind of play it close to the vest like they give gradually increasing hints Mm -hmm. that the blonde guy was captain america but they don't full-on reveal it till the very last page yeah they actually avoid reveals altogether because even the Nazi youth guy that obviously is Bucky. Right. Um, they never have a panel where it's like, good job impersonating that Nazi Bucky. You know, they just walk off together like like he's gonna kill this blonde guy and then next thing you know we see Cap and Bucky. So we could all guess that's what happened, but they don't show it. Oh you're right. That particular thing is never revealed. I mean, once you realize that the other guy was Cap 
and you see mm-hmm. him walking away with the teenage boy, you can assume that that's probably what's going on. But they never mm-hmm. actually come out and say, and I was the, the, the German youth kid. Right. It's like, you, the blonde American soldier, step out of rank, Schnell, I have work for you to do. And then they have thoughts like, how come you know English so well? You know, things like that. Right. But, but they never just reveal it. I thought that was kind of a cool story choice. Yeah. This is an interesting stage in the development of Captain America because I really, all of my impressions of, of Captain America from a creative standpoint at this point is that they had no intention of using anything from the golden age. They were just going to tell modern day Captain America stories mm-hmm. and, and, you know, leave behind all the more or less hokey stuff from before and actually and, make him be a real war hero. And then they, a la Sergeant Fury. They absolutely did that and continue to do that. Like there's no flashbacks even today of Captain America and world war two fighting a weird puppeteer with fangs and, dumb glasses you know right like it's always fighting nazis it's always fighting nazis or something um i love jack kirby again coming back i mean i said earlier that i didn't really miss him being gone but i think this issue reminded me that i maybe did a little because it was pretty awesome it is pretty great uh he does the action really well and since captain america is definitely an action character this is pretty awesome um like even this page three the diner scene like that's glo- that's like gorgeous and nothing's going on except drink, sipping tea with his girlfriend you know but yeah it's like good stuff speaking of whom we have not seen nearly enough of pamela in this book we haven't and it's always the same note she just thinks like he needs to be a good boy and not get in fights that's right. her whole role which i hadn't realized last time i read through this era how much of a one note character she was mm-hmm. um but he loves her and that's the important thing. So there must be more going on to their relationship that we see. Him, him, t- him, him drinking that tea with his pinky up is pretty comical. Yeah, yeah. Like she's you're such a gentleman. He's like, yeah. Um, page two, the last panel. Mm-hmm. Um, Sergeant Fury is griping about Captain America and how. You know, he's new, but he's getting all this success. And maybe I ought to wear a nutty mask with two cornball wings on it. Mm-hmm. This is me when a podcaster I know has a show that gets more successful than mine. <laughs> yeah. This was a cool scene all around because it's actually like, what did they say? Like, it first starts out with watching the Howlers and they just politely clap. And he's like, boy, that's all. That's all we get. And she's kind of like, well, Nick, you're in England now. We don't like go crazy like you Americans with our emotions, you know, in public. And then it cuts to Cap and they all go crazy with their emotions. So that was funny. And uh, let's see. We get Captain America on a motorcycle in this one, which I really, really like. Always a good thing. Um, I like I like, I like, like it in comics more than actual life. Actually, no. The movie Captain America on a motorcycle looked amazing. The mm-hmm. old school movies of Captain America on a little stringy motorcycle, not so great. <laughs> with the Captain, with the shield, windshield and all that, you mean? Right, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, not so good. But by Winter Soldier, it was pretty awesome again. Yeah, it looked um, pretty great. Um, I kind of, I almost wish that um, Nick didn't interrupt this confrontation because I would wonder what he would do. But Oh, with the he can't, Yeah, he can't obviously just go out and beat him because that reveals his secret identity, but. Right. He also doesn't look like he's going to apologize either. So it's kind well, of interesting. He, he takes a pratfall. Uh-huh. Um, and so it looks like he might just be willing to let it go at that. Mm-hmm. Very Clark Kent of him. Um, yeah. Oh, he's so Clark Kent. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think when we covered the Golden Age, he was unnecessarily Clark Kent. We always wondered why they even bothered with that whole notion. Right. Why does he even live a life as Private Steve Rogers? Why is that even necessary? Yeah. And why does he have to be bumbling and piss off his sergeant and stuff? Like, that was just all Clark Kent. Right. It was weird. Funny. Anyway. Um, but yeah, when I was reading this scene, I was just like, there's probably a first time reader of this comic in the era has no reason to think that this is actually Cap. I think we've only seen him without his mask on in Avengers 4, like for one panel or something. Did we even see him without his mask on in Avengers 4? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because he was he like took yelling it off. at Bucky. Yeah, he yelled at Bucky, and then when he pulled himself together, he put the mask back on, like he needs the mask on to be Captain America or something. Right. Okay. And so. I think that was the last time. So, yeah, he's been capped the whole time. It's weird. Kind of funny. The, um, the Howlers usually are coming in from a mission and needing a break and being sent out another mission. Uh-huh. In this issue, they actually have a break mm-hmm. and they're getting bored and they want to go back into action. Or at least Fury wants to go back into action, tells Happy Sam to send them back into action. Kind of weird. I feel like the last time they started out in not war mode, it was also a break and they got into a bar fight also. So like, that's their thing. They get into I bar fights. They, they, they have too much time off. They start getting into bar fights. That's mm-hmm. when you know to send the howlers back out. They get in a bar fight. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking them to the brig, just like put them on a boat, send them off somewhere. So so we know this is early days for Cap if we're caring about chronology because they've obviously never met him. And I like that Nick and the howlers kind of just have no even respect for this guy. Like they just think, oh, this is the dude that does those fake demos for propaganda purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just found that whole, that, that aspect of this issue interesting. Like this is where they figure out that he's like an actual person who does things. And it's weird. Cause like a lot of the stuff we've had in this book is tied to 1944. Mm-hmm. Like it seems that this book largely takes place in the last year and a half of the war. Mm. And yet, and yet according to later cap chronology, Steve goes in the ocean in right. late 1944. So, right, this should be a different Captain America. Maybe a different Captain America. Oh, it could be a different Captain America. That's why he's never named Steve Rogers. It could be, but I don't. But the other guys who replaced him didn't look like Steve Rogers. No the mask off. No, they didn't. That's just the fifties guy who did that. Um, this is just just earlier than it should be. Yeah, not early enough to have the triangle, but that only lasted one day anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the only other note I have on this is the lieutenant, uh, the medical lieutenant of the hospital. We came as soon as we heard, gal. I'm a lieutenant, not a gal. Please step this way, corporal. That and was, I was awesome. Like, you, you, you tell him, lieutenant. And the panel above it, more photographic destruction. That, that one works better end. for me. But yeah, it's, it's still like wasn't needed. I don't know. But just, I saw, just, the, fa- I saw the Fantastic Cast guys about this, and they said that it's later on it become much more refined and a much better product, especially when you have like better color printing because right mm-hmm. now they're trying to print photographs on four color printing printing and it's not working. It also kind of reminds me of like when they remaster old shows like Star Trek or Red Dwarf or something. Right. And you're, you're just going along and it looks like the sixties and then all of a sudden it doesn't. It's weird. <laughs> I thought they did better with that with Star Trek than they did with Star Wars. Star Trek, or, even though they redid the effects, it, all, it uh-huh. still felt kind of old school. Yeah, a little better. But I it's, still try and just watch it the original way because I'm weird. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know how weird I'd be? Because I haven't done it yet because I haven't wanted to. But if I were to watch all of it by release order, I'd re-watch the remastered as it came out. Whoa. Ooh, ooh. So I'm watching it twice for no reason. But anyway, 
no reason whatsoever. Just to experience the remaster like everybody else did back in the day. Well, I'm hoping to show Star Trek to Keenan in the near future, and I will be using the remaster version because he will appreciate no, the better effects. No, no. He is very, <laughs> very particular about old school art styles. Uh-huh. He doesn't like to read 60s comics so much because the art is so out of date. Hmm. And it's mostly, I think, the printing. Like, I think if the same art were done on a digital printing with digital coloring, then it would be it would be better the better received by him. But because everything looks old and fuzzy and grainy, it's it's he does not like it. Yeah. The only other thing I would say is like just to con- be consistent with the off-panel business is uh, they don't even show Cap finding the explosion or finding the device that explodes the tunnel, and they don't show Cap or Bucky like being okay. So it's all from Nick's point of view. Yeah, so this is. I, uh, yeah, I just kind of like that Cap and Bucky seem like this this thing that exists in their lives, in the Howler's lives, you know? Right. It's not from their point of view much. There's a couple scenes, but. And this is our third appearance of a modern day character in this book. We had Reed Richards in issue three. Mm-hmm. We had Dr. Zemo in issue eight. Right. And we have uh, Captain America here in issue 13. I like how they've been peppering those in, but I only know of one other that's happening. It's a little ways down the road. Um, and then I think it's basically just, just war gonna, stories. Is it going to be J. Jonah Jameson? <laughs> that's Marvel's. That's Kurt Busiek oh. who did that. Well, that was fun for me. Do you want to do one that you might like? I do want to do one that I might like, although I did like that. I did like mm-hmm. that. So Amazing Spider-Man 20. Man, this is an important book for me. Yeah? Yeah, this is... Um, this is the end of my Spidey collection as a kid. Oh, so this was the last story for years? Yeah. Mm. So I, um, for those who don't know, Lancer published paperback collections of um, 60s comics. And they did it in like pocketbook size. So you had to have really good eyes to read them. Um, but I had all three Spider-Man volumes from when I was around six or so. And they had Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man 1 through 20. And I probably read those 20 times if I read them once. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was all of my Spider-Man, all of my, really, my Marvel Comics universe knowledge until I bought Amazing Spider-Man 341 off the shelves, at, you know, when I was 11. Mm. So, and this is the end of that collection, which we'll talk about when we get to the end. It's it's a pretty good ending for a collection. So you've never read Amazing Spider-Man 21? That'll be fun next time. <laughs> Not until I was an adult. Oh. I read it for the first time within the last 10 years, probably right at nine years ago. Okay. Um, all right. So the coming of the Scorpion or Spidey Battle Scorpy. <laughs> Many readers have asked us why Stan's name is always first on the credits. And so big heartedly agreed to put Stevie's name first this time. How about that? Illustrated by Steve Ditko, written by Stan Lee, lettered by S. Rosen but we still have a feeling that sneaky Stan put something over on us. Anyway, now it's time for thrills, chills, and spills. Okay. Side note, before I dive into this, mm-hmm. according to Marvel, the untold story, Ditko was the many readers who were complaining that the writer's name was always going first. Oh, okay. And he did not appreciate this joke. Oh, I got to read that book. It's, it's a good book. It's a little saddening because it does sure. tend to focus on, the the Negative. tabloid stuff yeah uh, yeah yeah but um 
Anyways, okay. So last issue, after we wrapped up the whole Spidey's back from being off for a while thing, the issue ended with somebody mysteriously following Peter Parker home and hanging out outside his window. So um, Peter is once again walking home, and there's once again this mysterious hat guy following him home and hanging outside his window. He's like, huh, that's weird. So he turns into Spider-Man and decides to follow him when he leaves. Follows him to a phone booth, follows him... Um, and then after the phone booth is heading back to his own house again, he's like, well, I can't go to my house with that guy standing there. So I'll make a web bat, throw it down past the guy to distract him while he's looking away. I'll slip into my house. Woohoo! Thump. He lands with a thump. He's like, oh no, I might've woken Aunt May. Got changed fast. Puts on a bathrobe, covers up his uh, Spider-Man costume and Aunt May walks in. The, um, let's see. The guy is there the next morning. Peter's like, I guess can't do anything. Might as well just go to school. So he goes to school um, or goes to work. He decides to stop by the Daily Bugle. Meanwhile, J. Jonah Jameson is reading the paper. He's like, who's this stupid guy who can make mutations? I don't need that. I wish somebody would take on Spider-Man. Maybe if somebody were mutated and being stronger than, <gasps> wait a minute. So he goes and gets the number for Farley Stillwell and decides to make some phone calls. Peter goes to the Daily Bugle and talks to Betty. Ned is also there. They have a way too friendly conversation, but turns out that Ned is going to Europe. And Peter's like, yes. (laughs) So um, he looks over and notices that Jonah is running out of his office with mysterious hat guy with him. Turns out hat guy has been reporting to Jonah to try to find out how Peter gets all the pictures of Spider-Man. And Jonah's like, I don't care about that now. Let's go. And so they skadoosh off to go see Dr. Stillwell. Um, meanwhile, Ned and Betty uh, are going to the airport to drop Ned off. And Ned's like, hey, Pete, uh, you, don't, you, you don't you don't want to go with us, do you? And Betty's like, oh, yes, that'd be so much fun. And Pete's like, okay, yeah, I'll go with you. Um, the tone's a little bit different in the comics, but that's probably how it would have played out. Um, (laughs) turns out Farley Stillwell likes to mutate stuff. He likes to make rats who can fly. He likes to make monkeys with four asses. And, um, Jonah Jameson asks him if he can crossbreed an elephant with a prop belly pig. So you have pets that are, you know, cool like elephants, but small like pigs. And Farley Stillwell Mm -hmm. says, no, I can't do that, but I can turn your guy into a scorpion. So, um, they... Basically, Jonah's like, if you turn my guy into a scorpion, I'm going to give you 10,000 bucks. And Farley Stillwell says, I sometimes have ethics, but that's a lot of money. <laughs> so we're going to turn your guy into a scorpion. So they turn him into a scorpion. They give him like energy and vital weight rays and what else. They give uh-huh. him a cool green costume. They give him a tail that uh, ties into his neurosystem somehow. Um, Peter and Betty come back from the airport. Peter's like, okay, who is that guy asking and going to Jonah? I'm turning to Spider-Man, go find out. Spider-Man goes to Jonah. Jonah's like, well, hey, Spider-Man, why don't you uh, come on inside and sit down? Would you like a cigar? I have some beer. And Spider's like, wait a second. This is way too happy and friendly. I'm going to get out of here. And Jonah's like, crap, the scorpion didn't show up. But the scorpion shows up and catches Spider-Man on a roof and they fight. And Scorpion's pretty powerful. Spider-Man covers him in webs, but Scorpion's like, hey, I have pinchers because I'm a scorpion. And he snaps through the webs. And basically, he throws Spider-Man into a water cooler. Not like into the top vulture style, but like through the wall Kool-Aid man style. Um, And Spider-Man's just kind of out for the count. So Scorpion's going to go get his $10,000. But he's like, wait a second. I could rob that armored truck instead. 
So he robs the armored truck and takes the money and takes the jewels. And um, Spider-Man wakes up, goes after Scorpion. Farley Stillwell wakes up, goes after Scorpion, says, hey, take this antidote or you're going to lose all your sense of morality. And um, Scorpion's like, I don't need that antidote. I have morality. Whatever I want, that's right. So Spider-Man catches up to Scorpion. They keep fighting. Jonah Jameson realizes he has created a criminal who has killed... Oh. Farley Stillwell tries to climb the building after Scorpion and he falls and dies. So Jonah's like, oh no, I'm responsible for that guy's death. Um, fight, 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 fight. Scorpion dives into Daily Bugle office and Betty's like, oh no, it's a scorpion. And Jonah's like, quick, hide, get in this closet. And um, he's not really being heroic. He just doesn't want Betty to be there if Scorpion says anything damning about Jonah. Spidey shows up, rips off his tail, punches Scorpion in the face. Um, he's all beat up and bruised. His suit's all cut up from the fight. Jonah's like, dang, my, my life. I really made some decisions in this one. Didn't I? <laughs> Peter's like, I, uh, I, I really look bad. I need to crumple my suit up so that people ask me why I look bad. At least, you know, it won't be just be my face. So Peter goes to school looking like crap and, um, flash is like, <laughs> Peter, you really look like crap. And Peter's like, I'm going to punch you. And flash is like, no, 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 you look like crap. People will think that I took advantage of you. And Peter goes home and Aunt May dotes on him and uh, addresses his wounds. Peter talks to Betty and they're kind of flirty, but not really. He's also kind of sassy. And then Jonah's like, you know, if anybody has power, they're going to turn evil. Scorpion proved that. That's why I've got to keep on Spider-Man and destroy him. And then Peter has to re-sew his costume because it's all torn up from the fight. The end. Yeah. I like this issue a lot. I'm not sure if it's my top pick for this month, though, because there's some other really good stuff this month, but I do like this issue a lot. So Scorpion's kind of a funny cat for me, because on the one hand, of course, he's a classic Spider-Man villain, and we're all used to how he looks and stuff, but I've always kind of also felt he's not really Scorpion-y in a way. Like, I don't know. Like, he's got the Scorpion strength, whatever that means, but he sort of looks like Beachhead from G.I. Joe, and... They say he has pinchers on his hands, but they just look like fingers. And his tail isn't natural. It's like a robot thing they added. And it doesn't have like a hook or pinchers on it like a scorpion's would. I was thinking about that too. Like a scorpion's tail is to, it's, it's just a vehicle for his sting. Mm-hmm. Whereas this scorpion is more like a club. Yeah. So I've always kind of felt like he could just be anything man, kind of. But they called him scorpion. So he's just going to go with it, I guess. But I think he gets more scorpion as it goes along. His his costume gets more scorpion as it goes along. Once he adds a barb to the tail, it definitely sells it better. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that he keeps the whole pincher hands thing. It's a little bit ridiculous. Uh-huh. That if I just if I think scorpion thoughts while you know closing my fingers, <laughs> it's, it's that's what it seems like. Yeah, yeah. They don't look like claws or anything. No, they don't. They they have no scissor qualities to them whatsoever. Yeah. But, but I do like that him. said, it is a scorpion, and he's probably a top villain of Spider-Man. So it's kind of neat to see his first appearance. He is. He is neat. And um, and I didn't know, know he was the guy that follows Peter. Oh, so good. That good, surprised good. me. That was that was an interesting uh, twist there. I feel like that subplot was either brought in as a throwaway idea just to make the end of last issue interesting, or mm-hmm. they were going to do something with it, and they decided not to. And so Because it becomes a non-issue really quickly. Yeah, he's just like, Jonah's like, you know, I have a better idea for you. Forget that whole trying to figure out his pictures thing. Let's which make might, a villain. Which might be exactly the conversation that happened between uh, right. S- Steve and Stan. Right, right, right. 
Which is kind of a shame because it was sort of a cool, dramatic bit, these couple pages. And what's great is the last issue, I thought, how come his spider sense isn't going off with this guy? But I decided not to be nitpicky about it. And then in this issue, his spider sense goes off from this guy. So that was awesome. Um, I don't know how Spider-Man makes things like web bats. Or parachutes. or yeah, Well, parachutes are almost believable because it's just a sheet of web. Mm-hmm. But like, I want, I want the cartoon scene or the MCU scene where he like squeezes out a, a mush of webbing and he's like trying to sculpt it and like make the little finger bones and shape it into a web bat. And he can't because it's just a ball of web mush. <laughs> and so he just throws it at the guy instead. I've always wondered how it works in general, like why he doesn't stick to his own web. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like when he grabs the web to swing, why isn't it stuck on his hand? Because it's just not. So in which case, that just goes to the whole, how do you shape a bat in webbing if the web's stuck on you all the time? But I do I love don't know. The, I yeah. do love the quick change scenes where he has to hide from Aunt May and like throws on the rope mm-hmm. and he's like hiding his Spider-Man club behind his mm-hmm. back and everything. That's that's always fun. So the Scorpion's origin is a little too like, you know, oh, there's a guy in the paper who makes two-headed pigs. I'm going to call him. Right. That was a little easy, but it got to the action, so that's fine. And I do like that the scientist, like you said, he has ethics sometimes, but then like later he does actually try and stop Scorpion, which was kind of fun. And Jonah is actually like, issue 15 was Craven. He's like, Craven, no, you can't go after Spider-Man. He's a person. And here he's like, I'm going to make a villain who's strong enough to kill Spider-Man. He never says kill, but what does he expect to happen? Amazing Spider-Man number 20, the first time J. Jonah Jameson goes too far. Yeah. Yeah, this is not good. It's one thing to slam him in the paper dishonestly, but this is actively trying to hurt somebody. Also genetic manipulation that's probably illegal in some way or another. Definitely ethically questionable. Yeah. Um, I do. He does say something like, Scorpion, bring him back. Bring him back so I can unmask him. And then Scorpion ignores him because at that point he's high on being evil and... Right. So maybe that was his goal, to defeat Spider-Man and unmask him? I don't know. You know what's know cool, either. though? You know what's cool is in a lot of ways, Scorpion and Spider-Man are kind of created the same. Okay. Uh, and Ditko reuses his designs for what the spider got hit with before it bit Peter. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of neat. I don't know if that was just because he has no other ideas, but it, you could also argue that that's because it's kind of the same idea, like splicing somebody with a animal thing only now it's all intentional instead of accidental that is a pretty cool callback mm-hmm. um let's see the oh okay we gotta talk about the whole peter betty ned thing so either ned is the most secure guy in the entire world or doesn't care about betty at all and just she just thinks he does or is obtuse and moronic those are the options yeah um you know, in my synopsis, I read it like he didn't really expect Peter to say yes. Um, he just was kind of being polite. Mm-hmm. But I, I do see it as being like he's maybe just trying to make Betty happy because Betty and Peter are friends. Um, so far, the only facial expression we get from Ditko is that he's smiling all the time. So he, he does smile a lot. It's hard to tell if he actually has thoughts about Peter because they don't give it give that to us. And that's Peter's reaction too. Is like Ned's a real nice guy. But I'm glad he's gone. Right. <laughs> I hope he's not gone for long because that's kind of a fun dynamic and I don't want him to just like write this out. Yeah. Um, I think 
I don't know when he comes back. It's not super long time, but just the idea that there is also this Ned Leeds person in their dynamic, I think spices up the stuff between Peter and Betty a little bit. Mm. Adds some tension because, you know, they were so secure and solid before. Mm-hmm. They were secure and solid. And now the speech is, uh, you know, Betty, I have no right to expect you not to date other boys. So is that because she thinks he was dating Liz? And so now it's okay for them to date other people or... Did they officially break up? I can't even remember. They did not officially break up. She was mad. He went out with somebody else while they weren't talking. But again, I don't Yeah, I don't think the whole exclusivity and dating and stuff that unless you get married, you don't have to be exclusive. Right. People yeah. go on dates with people. And yes, other if you go on a lot of dates with the same person, they start to get jealous if you go on dates with other people. But like dating, I think. Because it's not just comics I've seen this. And I've seen this in like, you know, TV shows from the day and stuff too. Uh-huh. Dating used to be a lot less rigid as far as who you could go out with. Until they ga- until the guy gave you his pin or asked you to marry him. Right. You were just able to date whatever boy came along, I guess. Right. Theoretically, the, he could date the whatever girl came along as long mm. as he wasn't going too far with them. Because that's the concern is that the guy might go too far with a lot of different girls. And then it's not it's not fun anymore. It's not just fun dating anymore. Right. Um, the fight so, was fun. Yeah. The f- and the, the f- the, can you imagine the car drive back from the airport? Oh, yeah. That was horrible. S- sorry. We talked over each other again. That's but, okay. Yeah, driving back. Because Betty's like, I don't really want to talk about anything serious. <laughs> How about those Mets? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, go ahead. I was just going to say the fight. One of the fun things about the fight was that J. Jonah Jameson got to watch it out his window. I don't know. I like I liked Ditko's JJJ uh, expressions. They're, They're really fun. They're really good in this. They're good in this. They were good in the last issue. It's like, so we get all these like reactions. Like he's the only guy watching this bout. And sometimes he's super happy. Other times he's really scared that he's. Done the wrong thing. Yeah, it's good stuff. And then stuff. there's page 10, which has like two uh, symmetric pictures of J. Jonah uh-huh. Jameson. And that top right panel on page 10 is art that will be used in the cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of him webbing up to Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion trying to get through the webs in exactly that configuration. That's from the closing credits of the cartoon. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, we get to J. Jonah Jameson feeling bad about everything. Like... He realizes Scorpion's going over the over the edge. He's like, he finds out Stillwell is dead. He says, nobody knows it's all my fault. I'm the one to blame. If I thought for a second that he actually learned anything from this experience, I would feel bad for him here. But he doesn't. He's going to help make Spider Slayer robots. And this is not okay. Yeah, it's more like he's worried about being caught. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's exactly what he's worried about, being caught. Yeah. And that's kind of a dynamic with Jonah and Scorpion. One of the things that happens when Scorpion has back is Jonah's always like, oh, no, I helped make the Scorpion. And Scorpion might get me in trouble. Don't say anything, buddy. Right. It's kind of weird, though, to make J. Jonah Jameson like Spidey's Lex Luthor in a way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of hate that you said it like that. But at the same time, you're not, you're not exactly wrong either. <laughs> always creating these threats for Spider-Man to fight. And it's like, yeah, but he is just a newspaper guy, so... Sort of weird, but I guess yeah. that's always been the case. Huh. Um, but the issue ends with like so many classic Spidey tropes with mm-hmm. like, you know, um, beating the bad guy, teasing Jonah, messing around with Flash, getting doted on by Aunt May, on yes. the phone with Betty, sewing his costume. 
Um, it's just such a great Spidey moment in the last two pages. And this was the end of the collection. So uh-huh. like, I felt like I was, you know, it feels like the end of a book. Really yeah. does. Yeah, that is a good way to end a trade if they make them. Um, I love on page 20, though, that panel where he's like, if she was the same age as Marissa Tomei, I would reveal my other identity. But I can't because she's so fragile. Right. I think that's interesting. I've never heard him before or since maybe think of it that way. Like, he just didn't want her to know. But he's actually worried she's going to have some sort of heart attack or something over it. That's his reason for keeping it from her. Especially, I mean, think about it. At this point, he now has cause for concern about her heart. Mm-hmm. Before, he was just keeping it from her because, you know, teens keep stuff from their parents. But now he's like, that much shot could actually kill Aunt May. Yeah, it could. Yeah, so, overall good issue. It is First a pretty Scorpion. good issue. We're running out of Spider-Man villains. Like, they've already introduced most of them. Uh, yeah, and next issue is a repeat. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be a while till we get to Venom, and then there's nothing left, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of the next new Spidey villain. I, I usually... mean, we, Vulture, we've had Green Goblin, we've had... How about Rhino or something like that? When's Rhino coming to the picture? That's like 41. Oh, geez, that's a ways away. Um, yeah, I don't know then. I'm just doing a quick search on, um, you know, the the site with the stuff. Okay. Well, I'll queue up Tales of Suspense number 61 while you look at that, because we've got to talk about Iron Man and Captain America. Oh, yeah. Um, I get to do another Cap story tonight. But first, before I get there, I have to do Iron Man, because he's the first Bill. Um, it's called The Death of Tony Stark, presenting once again by overwhelming popular demand, The Mandarin. And did you find anything more about the villains or should I go? So the Goblin comes back, uh, Mysterio comes back, Jonah does another menace. Goblin teams up with a guy who's called the Crime Master. So he's kind of a new villain, but it's also a Green Goblin story. Mm -hmm. The next just straight up new villain story is issue 28 with the Wow. And that guy's not even a top 10. Little ways to go. Lots, Lots of repeats. All right, so back to Iron Man. This is a story by Stan Lee because he wanted the best. Art by Don Heck because we wanted the finest. Inking by Dick Ayers because we wanted the tops. Lettering by Sam Rosen because we wanted to keep him busy. And if you don't know, the last two stories, actually, this is our first third parter, I think. We've had Iron Man or Tony Stark stuck in his Iron Man suit. He can't take it off because... The normal chestal section that normally powers his uh, heart and keeps it pumping has lost power. So he's actually having to run that through these things on his hips. And so if he takes off his armor now, like even with the chest piece on, it won't be enough power to keep his heart going and he'll die. So he's stuck in Iron Man mode. Nobody knows that Tony Stark is really Iron Man. So Iron Man is just going around saying, Tony's missing. Tony's on vacation and I'm in charge. Nobody is liking that or having that. And so we kick off that again with Pepper and Happy handing in their resignation to Iron Man. He's like, listen, we don't believe you. We think you've done something and we are going to figure it out. But we also feel like we can't work here anymore while we do that. So he's like, ah, those are my only two friends. Anyway, they go to the police and the police is like, yeah, I think I'm with you on this whole Iron Man thing. It's kind of weird. Um, Let's see. So Iron Man's still trying to work on figuring out how to get the armor off. While he's doing that, Happy tries to like invade his mansion essentially through the back door luckily tony hears him coming and manages to jump into bed and cover up because he didn't have his helmet on so he's like 
And Happy's like, hey, Tony, you're really alive. Yeah, I'm alive. Of course I'm alive. I've just been under the weather and I told Iron Man to, you know, be in charge. Why? You didn't believe him? I told you to believe him. Jeez, what kind of friend are you? So then, of course, Happy calls Pepper, who in turn calls everybody. And there's all this big news coverage at at uh, uh, Tony's mansion. And he gets interviewed by the police and everything's free and clear. So then he goes back to being Iron Man on his balcony as they all drive away. Meanwhile, we cut to this mysterious new satellite that's not owned by either United States or Russia because it's owned by the Mandarin. And he's found out, by the way of the news, that Tony Stark is sick in bed. So, hey, I'm going to kill Tony Stark. So he uses his awesome ring to power this thing, which in turn powers the satellite. And the satellite shoots this crazy beam right at the mansion. Luckily, Iron Man has abilities that allow him to sense when dangerous beams are coming at him. So he notices and jumps out of the way. The mansion explodes. Everybody hears about it. Uh, There's fire, police, all that stuff. Pepper and Happy assume he's dead. They tell Iron Man, hey, aren't you supposed to protect him? And he's like, yeah, but I wasn't around. Sorry, I guess he is dead, which is a weird lie. But okay. Um, Then Pepper goes back to the cops and says, yeah, I still don't believe that Iron Man isn't up to something like that beam had something to maybe do with him because it's kind of weird that it just came out of space and nobody knows where it came from, right? And the cop's like, "Um, it was a beam and it came out of space and I'm a New York police officer, so I don't know what to do for you. Meanwhile, Happy is like on the docks screaming why to the moon because he's sad about his boss, but also kind of happy his boss is gone so that he could have Pepper. Um, Iron Man pinpoints where the beam came from and... Hitches a ride on a jet or airplane and then leaps off it and flies in as Iron Man. Immediately is hit by a ray, um, falls to the ground, but manages to live. But there's these weird spots in his eyes because it turns out that's another one of Mandarin's traps as he's being hypnotized. He suddenly sees a giant, what looks like a giant robot and starts to fight it. But then because of the hypnotism, he's convinced that it's not a robot. It's an actual person. And that somehow freaks him out and makes him his nervous system shut down and he goes unconscious. So then he wakes up tied to this weird wheel of death. And the Mandarin's there cackling and saying, you know, I'm going to kill you in five minutes. But before I do, let me tell you my whole life story. And that's the end for now. You know what I just realized while you were giving the synopsis? I didn't think about this in my notes. I just thought about it like just now. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 3 borrows directly from this issue. Issue. Does it? Um, Tony Stark goes on co- uh, on uh, news, and it's because of that broadcast. The Mandarin knows exactly <gasps> where he lives. Yeah, and he's able to destroy Tony and kill him in his house. And everybody thinks he's dead for a lot of the movie. Yep, because he got yeah, away. Everyone thinks, yeah, but yeah, they don't know he's alive. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's cool. I did not. I've never put that together before. But yeah, that's cool. That is pretty neat. I'm amazed that this subplot is still going. And still going. Right? We're gonna we're gonna have a fourth part about him being stuck in his armor. At least this is. I I did not remember Iron Man being so serial. I remember that you know Hulk was serial, and um, Captain America soon will become serial. I did not remember Iron Man being so serial. I guess this early, but mm-hmm. it really is. This is just one episode running into the next, making a continuing drama. Yeah, and I feel like now that it's here, it's going to be like this for a while. Every issue. We're going to end in some way wondering what happens next. Yeah, it's pretty fun. This is, this is to me, 
you know, historians who look at comics and look at Marvel tend to divide Marvel up into into eras, not just Silver Age or whatever, like segments of the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've gotten past the developing stages mm-hmm. and we're like, we're like into, okay, Marvel knows what they're doing now and they're yeah. starting to act like it. Yep. It's spreading. It's spreading beyond just Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot more drama and pathos going on in all the books than just, than just Spider-Man. We still we have a few clingers still, but they're going to go yeah. away soon. Like yeah. seven more issues and counting, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so he's been stuck for uh, over a month in his Iron Man suit. Yeah, I hope it's got like washing abilities and stuff. I hope he can pee. Well, according to Iron Man two, he can pee, but you know, it just reprocesses somehow. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, now I'm all, I'm all of a sudden confused uh-huh. because we already knew that he had to always keep his chest piece on. Right. That was already a problem, like in the yes. concept of Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So he has to keep these belt pods on. Can he really not wear pants over that? Yeah. Why can't he take the arms and the legs off? Because we know those all just roll up. Right. But maybe the whole suit connected is what's powering those pods, or the pods are connected to the whole suit being on, or won't work unless the whole suit's on. Or I don't know. I guess it's just a conceit that he can't take the suit off, and we'll just have to live with it. We'll just have to live with it. Um, have you seen the movie Bernie? The Bernie? No, I don't know. Maybe. What is it's Bernie? A, it's a Jack Black movie. It takes place in East Texas. It's based on a true story. Um, it's one of Jack Black's less comedic roles. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays this just like really nice guy in a small town in East Texas um, who meets like a really, really crotchety old woman played by Shirley MacLaine. Okay. And he decides to befriend her. If no one else is going to be her friend, I'll be her friend because I'm a nice guy. And he just starts doing stuff for her, starts trying to make her life easier. And slowly she starts to appreciate it. And like they start basically cohabitating, uh-huh. not in like a, a relationship way because – um, age difference, but age difference. Also, Bernie is Bernie is kind of a closet gay in the story. Um, they don't really make direct allusions to it, but that's who the, that's who the person in real life was. Anyways, eventually though, the crotchety old woman is still really crotchety to Bernie and gets so abusive he loses his crap for a minute and kills her. Oh, so then he doesn't doesn't know what to do because he's killed this woman. But he sticks her in a freezer and then starts telling all of her friends and relatives that she's been really sick and can't come and do this, whatever it is that you want to see her do. Oh, okay. So I was reading this and he's it's kind of like it's kind of like that where Tony's just like pretending to be sick. Iron Man's like, yeah, Tony's just sick at home. That's why you can't see him. Um, anyway, just remind it's not exactly the same dynamic, but it reminded me of that Bernie is also a very good movie and you should watch it. I will now. Um I do think he had a missed opportunity here, and they're like, oh, you called yourself his bodyguard? How did you let him die? And he's like, oh, yeah, I did, didn't I? So it's like, I don't know. I feel like he should have maybe lied and said I rescued him or something. But then they'd probably want to see him again. So yeah, I don't know. He'd probably have to produce him in pretty quick order. He can't just say, yeah, I rescued Clark. You'll see him back in the office. But I feel like he just dug a deeper hole because now he's going to have to figure out how to explain how he didn't get saved by Iron Man, but he's still alive. And you know, his mansion just got blown up by a laser. And I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah. Looking forward like, I to don't it. that at all. The Mandarin part, what? Three, six. How many times have we seen the Mandarin now? 
We saw his first story. We saw his two-part story. And I think this is the third story. I'm kind of eh, on the Mandarin. I know he's like the most important Iron Man villain of all time. I'm kind of waiting for a story where that matters, where that happens. Like, what, what, what is the Mandarin's, you know, Craven's Last Hunt storyline that is so amazing? Because right. Right, right now he is kind of the same note. And, like, his rings seem lame because all they do is push buttons, which I can do with my finger. I don't even need magic rings for that. It's weird how that happens sometimes, right? Right. So, like, what? I don't know. Come on, When he Mandarin. was doing, like, you know, lasers and black smoke and everything else in previous issues, that was kind of cool. But here he's just... Like you said, he's using it to push buttons. He uses it to close a switch. You could push a switch to close a switch. So I guess I'm excited, or not excited, but curious if his origin story next issue will be what kind of like cements him as an awesome sauce guy or something. We'll see. Because I'm not yeah, sure what know. his origin story is. I, I don't really know what his origin story is either. I uh, I think it's just his mystique and his look. and mm-hmm. um, I don't know. He does have technical know-how that seems to always put Iron Man on his back feet, but... I don't know what it is about him that makes him really cool to people. It's just the stories are always the same. It's Iron Man attacking his castle and then lasers shoot out of the castle and then he gets caught. That'd be a cool listener question. If you are Iron Man fan and you have Mandarin stories that like really make him awesome to you, let us know what those are and why. Not necessarily the issues because you know we may never get to read the issues, but uh, what you know what happens and why is the Mandarin awesome? Right. Why is the Mandarin awesome? There's a T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, okay. So, have I told you that I'm a nerd? No, I never knew that. Yeah. So, I pulled out a globe to see if this whole satellite thing would actually work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That kind of nerd. Yeah. So, he sends a beam from his base up into space to the satellite. And then the satellite sends uh, a deadly laser down to Tony Stark's house, uh-huh. which means you need two line of sight connections. The satellite has to be able to see those two places mm-hmm. triangulate right is that what right that exactly and yeah. since china and new york are so far around the world from each other i didn't think it'd be possible and if you were just looking laterally along, hor- along horizontal lines of latitude that would be a problem but if the satellite were like over alaska then uh-huh. it would work if you go north a bit then you can arc over the northern part of the globe and actually hit um a satellite up there can see China, can see New York. So it's theoretically, hypothetically conceivable. Just like a sumo wrestler in Vietnam? <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> that's a thing that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about this story? Or? I didn't like the flashing light hypnosis. Yeah, where'd that come from? How did that even work? Why did it even matter? Well, it All mattered it because was- it... They said it made him think that the robot he was fighting was a human, and that somehow shut down his central nervous system. It's like, what? Yeah, that didn't make sense. <laughs> what? If he thinks he's fighting a human, he passes out? That's a weird power. Or the robot was able, or the robot was able to knock him out, maybe? I don't know. But uh, it could have just as easily been he was tired. Under subtle hypnosis, he believed you to be a real living being. This sudden shock affected his nervous system, causing him to lose his will to fight. What? Yeah, he's, he's fought human beings before. He's fine with it usually. Iron Man is not Green Lantern either. <laughs> yeah, so that was weird. They didn't just need that. They didn't really need that dialogue. It could have just been a giant robot that knocked him out. I'd be fine with that. Especially after this crash, he could have said something like, "My powers are running low," and then the thing punches him, and he's unconscious. That works. But it is a pretty cool cliffhanger. I remember this 
um, strapped to the table cliffhanger. I did not really remember the story that led into it, but now that we're here, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this. And this is actually one of those times where the um, Iron Man subplots are going to feed into the Avengers. We'll see that next episode. Mm. I think he does mention the Avengers in this story too, but I kind of just skipped through it because it didn't matter. Yeah. But, oh, they were talking about how like Iron Man might be responsible for Tony Stark's kidnapping. So far, the Avengers haven't commented or something like that. Anyway, because Thor said, get thine crap together and they're going to stay out of it. Uh, another pinup. So, Samozin. Oh, oh. Yeah, another pinup. Yeah. Iron Man. The Golden Avenger. That's his nickname, like, Mini Breaking Steel. Yeah, but anyway, shredding Captain America. That Captain America, the strength of the sumo, exclamation point. All new thrills by Marvel's Mighty Master Stan Lee, writer par excellence. Jack Kirby, illustrator without peer. Schick Stones, delineator extraordinaire. And Artie Samek, letterer. What else? So it starts in Vietnam. So, wow. And Cap jumps into this group full of Vietnamese soldiers. And he's like, hey. I'm not even armed. Stop firing at me. And they're like, but you're Captain America. You beat up tanks and stuff. What kind of men are you? You don't even, you don't even, you're not supposed to shoot at me. I don't have guns. Okay, fine. I surrender. I want to see your general. Really? Okay. Well, let's take you to the general. But first, you have to get through these five shirtless guys. So he's like, okay, cool. And he beats up those five, or I guess it's just two. He beats up two shirtless guys. And they're like, wow, you're really good. All right, let's keep going then. So then they take him in a Jeep. And... Um, um, like there's this big, like, oh, he finds the guy, the reason he's there. There's a guy named Jim Baker who was a pilot who crashed and he got taken prisoner. Now, Jim Baker's brother at some point in World War II saved Cap's life. So Cap feels indebted to now save Jim Baker's brother, Jim Baker from Vietnam as a, a, you know, war prisoner. So he's like, hey, I'm here to save you. And Jim Baker's like, no, you should run. You should run. He's like, no, nah, I got this. And they like call the general in and the general parades like all this like craziness that doesn't really impress Cap all that much. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Cap gets punched in the back by this giant sumo guy. And that's the general. And uh, the general's like, yeah, um, I'm a, I'm going to have you guys, um, you know put in front of the firing squad so cap doesn't like that so he smacks him with the shield and that enrages the general and he's like never mind this guy's all mine let's fight and they get into a big fight and the general is awfully big and uses his weight on cap and almost has him pinned and stuff but cap gets out of it because he's better and he fights his way out and then he frees jim and jim and cap fight their way out um the general tries to stop them by lifting this huge honking statue but Cap and Jim kind of slip through his legs and bust out through a wall and make it to an airplane and fly away. Oh, they find there's another sumo kind of off panel or something to try and stop them, but that doesn't work either. They make it to the airplane. They fly away. Jim tries to thank Cap, but he can't hear him because the plane's too loud. The end. Really short and sweet on this one. Yeah. But like you said last episode, it is kind of the same plot again. It's just like, let's have a reason for them to fight. Well, at least this time it's not. Let's prove that Cap that Cap's the weakest Avenger or whatever. Like it's actually a mission or something. That's true. That's true. And let's let's just talk about that. Captain America in Vietnam. Yeah, Captain America went to Vietnam to rescue a war prisoner. So here's the thing: like Cap comes from the Golden Age, obviously, and initially he was right up in there, not necessarily fighting in the war, but 
that was kind of what obviously what the intention was because the first issue is punching Hitler in the face, right? But he also never actually fought in the war for the longest time. He was fighting on American soil for the FBI against spies, right? That was the thing. He wasn't fighting overseas or anything. Eventually, that starts happening. And now we're here in 1964 when Vietnam is going on or whatever. And it would be easy maybe to just have every story be Captain America fighting in Vietnam. But of course, they don't do that. Right. The idea of telling war stories is very different in this age. So now it's not propaganda anymore. It's more like impolite to have their superheroes solving problems and undermining real soldiers. Right. Right. So the fact that we even have a Vietnam story is kind of interesting. It is interesting, but it's it's also they've done this before and, you know, less. I don't know. I guess with Captain America, it feels like. It feels like a patriotic statement. Mm-hmm. Like America is here doing this thing. Whereas, I mean, Thor has fought communists oh. in Vietnam before. Yeah, Hulk. Yeah. Well, not in Vietnam, but he's fought so, communists. We used to have like a whole bunch of commie bastard stories. and Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. There were definitely some trips into communist countries. Uh-huh. Um, but this feels straight now, up right in the thick of the war, though, somehow. It does. It does feel like he is on a war-related mission to rescue a, a, a prisoner of war, and he's stopping a general in the Vietnamese army who is only a general because of his massive Samo experience and techniques, which is something that you often have not in Japan. <laughs> I, I looked. I looked it up. I looked up Jap- uh, sumo wrestling. Oh, did you? I, is, I thought yeah. about it, but I thought it was just Japanese pretty much, right? Yeah, it is It is pretty much 100% in Japan. Now, I am willing to be wrong on that. I do not claim ex- you know expert knowledge or whatever, but I've always associated with Japan, and my little bit of Googling research didn't show me anything else but Japan. Um, I found... You know, one of the few non-Japanese people to get awards in sumo wrestling was a Chinese man who moved to Japan to compete in sumo. Right. So it's just like... It's, it's kind of weird. It's not a thing. It's and, like, uh, it's like oh, they're all Asian, so they all just do everything the same. I think that's exactly what it was, without meaning to be uh, insensitive. But of course, it's the 60s, so people are often insensitive without meaning to be. Also, we have had this discussion where... You know, the depiction of the Asian people isn't as bad as the Golden Age depiction. And I still feel that way in this story. But I feel like it's a little worse than it was in some other stories we've covered on this show. Because, like, they've got pointy ears again and big mouths and beady eyes. And big teeth. And big teeth. Like, Kirby is is channeling his old 1940s days, kind of. Yeah, it might be technically not as bad as it was in the Golden Age, but it is still bad. It's like this poop stinks a little bit less than that poop. <laughs> right. Um, but they're right. both pretty shit, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, I, I, I f- Go ahead. I think this is only our second African-American character in Marvel so far. Our gray character? Yeah. Well, yes, yes, he is colored gray in this. But. I was just going to say, I wish there was more of this guy, you know, because they give him a name and everything and a history of his brother. Right. And then I looked it up just to think, oh, maybe I'm a bad cat fan and I don't know that this guy turns into something. But nope, only appearance, never mentioned again. This is it. Jim Baker's brother, Larry Baker, did some really awesome something for Cap in World War II mm-hmm. to where Cap feels the need to save this guy back for him. 
saved him in Asia even because he mentions the ETO. Okay, there you go. I think that's Eastern Theater, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, this story won't even work anymore because you can't have, well, you can't have Vietnam, but you also can't have Cap alive today saving the younger brother of someone who saved him in World War II anymore. Right. And I, I actually, I was like, I think ETO is pretty much, it's probably European theater. Mm. I think that, I think we had the Pacific theater the other day. Um, yeah. So Jim is the brother of someone he rescued. And pretty soon we're going to have, is it the niece or is it the younger sister? What is Agent 13's initial relationship to his old love? I think sister. And then at some point it becomes aunt. But that's yeah. not any better. And then but I can't remember. before Peggy dies. Yeah, great aunt. And then suddenly it's like, we're not even related. Yeah. Um, but sister, is, that, is it sister? Because that seems horribly creepy. But I think it might be. I don't know. I can't remember. We'll find out. We will find out. It's not a super far away away. It's not as close as I'd like, but... Um, but, you know, another, just like the last two, I really enjoy it. But at the same time, there's nothing to chew on, per se. Yeah. They're just, there's just fun little quick stories that give Cap a fighting personality, and that's it. We're not getting any, like, life from Cap yet. The only other tune that's I had was, how did he get there and arrive out of nowhere so unexpectedly? That was weird. Well, he jumped out, and the guy said, did he even have a parachute? No, no, he didn't. And he just landed and... Ran in because he can run a mile a minute. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> Is it I, no prize? I love the off panel defeat of the second sumo that we don't even see. It's like, Cap, the general's private jet adjuster. Because it doesn't even win the first fight. He runs away from the first fight. Right. He's got guarded by another specially trained sumo wrestler. Do you think we can get past him? 30 seconds later, I think so. <laughs> and they just see the guy's feet. <laughs> that was, that awesome. was fun. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, that's that's basically the Cap story. Not a lot to that one. Nope. I think it might be a little bit before we start getting some life from him, but oh well. At least it's well drawn. Yes, definitely well drawn. Um, unlike this Avengers cover that we're going to be talking about next episode that's on my list now. <laughs> Speaking of next episode, uh-huh. should I give them their homework? Give them the homework. Homework time, homework time. Okay, so your mission for next week is to read the other three comics that were released on October 8th, which are The Avengers 11, Strange Tales 1. Oh, The Avengers 11 on the cover is The Avengers versus Spider-Man. Oh. Spoilers, it's not really a Spider-Man story. Oh. Strange Tales 128, which has... Torch and Thing versus Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And then Doctor Strange captured by the Demon's Disciple. And finally, to wrap up the month, we have the Fantastic Four 34, A House Divided, which is the first appearance of Gideon, whoever the frog that is. (laughs) Okay. We'll find out. We will find out. All right. Um, Where can they find us? MakeOursMarvel.com is our website that has links and stuff on it. Also, of course, has every episode of the show that you could just play right there if you wanted to. But if you'd rather use an app, there are links on that site to all the good apps, I think. Um, There's also links to our social media on both Facebook and Twitter. And there is a contact form you can use to write the show or you can write us podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. We do read every letter and even read them on the air. So... 
Send them in. Give us your thoughts, corrections, additions. We love to hear all that stuff. We have over on Twitter uh, following us recently. We have Ray is only talking about comics at read underscore more underscore comics. The revolution will not be televised. Ooh. We have Triple P at Pathlad. If only I listened to Genghis, this whole sorry mess could have been avoided. And mm. we have William Hugh Potter at WH Potter, a short, stunning Mexican girl originally from Rome. I love fishing and chemistry. Some say I tell a few white lies about things, but they've all gone to prison now. Uh, he, does, he does not look like a short, stunning Mexican girl. Hmm. Um, with the mustache kind of gives it away. Yeah. But, but you, can um, never, you can never judge these days. Well, you know, avatars are really just photos grabbed from the internet, so they could mm-hmm. actually be completely false. Mm-hmm. Anyways, you can find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics, where I have a pinned tweet with all of my other lovely efforts online. I have all the pouches and Image Comics podcast at all the pouches. I have... Super Silly Sentai, a, a commentary podcast with my son at Silly Sentai. We have the um, preliminary home of my Transformers podcast at TFUK Podcast. And um, where else? Where else? Where else? Oh, yeah. Let's talk Wanda, which should be getting some more entries because Wanda is in our next Strange Tales issue. Yeah. So that'll be having some more as a podcast, as a uh, tweet blog through her published life history. And you can follow all the. Um fairly uninteresting things I do at kaisertheGreat.com. It's all there. So check it out. So until next time or until the scorpion goes crazy and thinks he can't take his suit off, make ours marvel. marvel.